1: Sometime around 1914, Walter traveled across the Atlantic with thousands of other brave Canadians to join the fight at the start of World War I. For many, it would be a one-way trip, but Walter managed to stay alive for four straight years. In fact, no bullet or landmine would send him home in 1918. No, that would be blamed on something far more strange. He was on patrol in the area of Belgium known as Flanders Fields, when a bolt of lightning flashed out of the sky and struck him off his horse. When his fellow soldiers found him, he was laying in the mud beside his dead horse, and half his body had been paralyzed. As a result, he was put on the next ship back to Canada to begin his recovery process. It would take Major Walter Summerford many years to become self-sufficient, eventually learning to walk with the help of a cane. But he was still young, still drawn to adventure, and still full of life. So when a group of his friends decided in 1924 to hike into the mountains to fish in a nearby lake, Walter happily joined them. I imagine the steep hike was grueling for him, but he kept up. Walter was a fighter after all, but when they arrived at the lake, he decided to take a seat while his friends unloaded their gear and set up camp. Right near the water's edge was a tall tree. So he sat himself down against it under the shade of the branches but the sun quickly faded away as a storm rolled in. When Walter's friends found him, he was laying on his side at the base of the tree, trembling and in pain. The tree itself told them everything they needed to know. A dark, smoldering streak ran down the bark, from high above all the way to the ground. It had been a lightning strike, and Walter, against all odds, had been struck again. Just like the first time, Walter seemed to have been paralyzed by it, and as a result, spent a long while in the hospital, doing his best to recover. It took him two years before he could walk again, but he did it. Like I said, he was a fighter, and giving up wasn't an option, so he pressed onward in life. As the story goes, Walter took a trip to a park in Vancouver in the summer of 1930. He was probably there with family, or maybe those same fishing buddies. We don't really know, but I have a feeling you could guess what happened next, right? Against all the laws of probability, Walter Summerford was struck by lightning for the third time in his life. They say this one was the worst, or perhaps it was just so devastating because it was the third time in 12 years that it had happened. Whatever the reason, Walter never walked again and spent the last two years of his life in a wheelchair. When he passed away in 1932, still very much a young man, he went to the grave as a member of a very special club. Lightning rarely strikes twice. But for Walter Summerford, it did that and more. You would expect the story to end there, wouldn't you? No more Walter, no more lightning, right? Well, not exactly. Because in 1934, just two years after he passed away, Lightning did strike again in his hometown. Now, I know what you're thinking. Without Walter, where could it possibly strike? The answer, though, might be more obvious than you were expecting. It struck his gravestone. Naturally.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
2: Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.
1: Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. When the trapdoor of the gallows was opened, the entire crowd held their breath. They were about to watch an innocent man die, and there was nothing they could do to stop it. It was February of 1894. The person on the platform was a young man named Will Purvis, who had been sentenced to death by hanging for the murder of a local farmer named William Buckley. The trouble was, Purvis claimed he was innocent. He swore to it. Thanks to a bit of circumstantial evidence, though, the jury ruled unanimously against him. Purvis was stunned. He hadn't committed the crime, and yet no one believed him. Angry and bitter, he lashed out in the courtroom. I'll live longer than a lot of you, he shouted. Regardless, on a cold February day in Mississippi, Will Purvis was escorted to the gallows for his execution. He was led up the stairs where a noose was lowered over his neck and then tightened, and then a black sack was slipped over his face. Finally, the trapdoor was triggered, and Will Purvis dropped to his death. Well, sort of. He actually fell a few feet and landed on the soft grass below the platform. A crowd glanced back up at the rope and immediately spotted the reason why. The noose had come untied. Sure, Purvis had a bit of rope burn around his throat, but he was alive and breathing. So the crowd went wild. The executioners tried to rebound from their failed attempt. They rushed down and scooped Purvis up and then hauled him back up to the platform where they reset the trapdoor. After a moment, though, they gave up. Maybe it was the nervousness of retying a noose in front of thousands of angry onlookers. Perhaps it was a desire to do things on their own terms at their own pace. Or maybe they could hear his words to the jury echoing in the back of their minds. Somehow, despite the odds, He had survived. So they tossed Will Purvis back in jail. He had already spent two years in prison waiting for his trial, and now he was back. He made an appeal for a new trial, but they denied him. He made another appeal and received yet another denial. This went on for two long years, all while Purvis had to endure hard labor alongside the other prisoners. But finally, in January of 1896, something changed. Actually, it was someone. Mississippi had elected a new governor, and when the new man, Anselm McLaurin, took office, he changed Purvis's sentence. The executioner's noose no longer loomed in his future. Two years after that, enough evidence and public outcry had flowed in that he was actually pardoned. Roughly six years after his life fell apart, Will Purvis was a free man. Two decades later, the true killer of William Buckley came forward and confessed closing the case for good. Purvis went on to live another four decades. He never found himself back inside the courthouse or at the center of another murder trial. He eventually received a large payment from the state as restitution for his time in prison and lived a full, normal life. Will Purvis passed away in 1938, 44 years after his failed execution. And just three days after the death of the final member of his jury. Will Purvis, it turns out, was a man of his word. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. The show was created by me, Aaron Mankey.